I am Grandpa, and I love you. I'm Grandma, and I love you too. Welcome to our podcast, Grandpa and Grandma Bedtime Stories. We share some stories that will make you laugh. We share stories that might make you cry. And we share stories that will give you courage to choose the right. And these bedtime stories will help you to dream sweet dreams. So get on your pajamas and say your prayers. Turn out the light and hear our story tonight. Good evening. This is Grandpa Edward Jeffrey Hill, and tonight I'm going to share some childhood memories that Irving J. Ray, your great-grandfather, recorded when I took him on a business trip to San Francisco in 1982. As background, Irving J. Ray was born on April 18, 1924, in Gilbert, Arizona. If he were still alive, how old would he be today in 2022? You are right, he would be 98 years old. His father, John Alexander Ray, and his mother, Juanita Stout Ray, had moved to Arizona from Mexico, where they had lived with other members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. They had lived in Mexico since the 1880s when they moved from Utah. They had to move from Utah because if they didn't, the fathers of the families would be arrested and put in jail. But that's another story for another day. Let me share one interesting fact. When I was dating Grandma Juanita Ray Hill in 1975, I met Manoa Richardson Anderson, Juanita's maternal grandmother. Do you know what a maternal grandmother is? You're right. A maternal grandmother is your mother's mother. Now, another really tricky question. This is like a math problem. If Juanita Ray Hill is your grandmother and Manoa Richardson Anderson is Juanita's grandmother, who is Manoa Richardson Anderson to you? Did you get it? I think you're right. She is your great-great-grandmother. When I met Manoa Richardson Anderson, she was riding with Juanita and me in a car as we drove back to the Ray home after a funeral. Manoa was very old and could hardly see anymore. When she found out I was dating Juanita, she asked me about my people. I assume by my people, she meant my ancestors. She specifically asked if any of them had lived in Mexico. She was pleased when I told her that my great-great-grandfather was the Apostle Erastus Snow and that he and his families had lived in Mexico. Then her eyes, which could hardly see, brightened up, and she asked me if by any chance I was related to Theresa Snow. Now I was the one who was excited. I told her that Theresa Snow was my grandmother and that she grew up in Colonia Juarez, Mexico. Then Manoa smiled contentedly and said, Oh, dear, I just love Theresa. She was my babysitter and was the best babysitter ever. Manoa turned to Juanita and said, This young man comes from good people. I like him a lot. And that made me smile. Okay, back to Juanita's paternal grandparents, John Alexander Ray and Juanita Stout Ray, and Juanita's maternal grandparents, Hans Christian Anderson and Manoa Richardson Anderson. 
1914, they were all living happily in Mexico. But there was a revolution. Pancho Villa was a revolutionary general, and his revolutionaries forced all the gringos to leave Mexico. Gringos are people who live in Mexico but speak English and are from the United States. So all the members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, who were living in Mexico at the time, had to leave their productive farms and resettle in Arizona or New Mexico or perhaps Utah. With that background, I'm going to read a transcript of what Grandpa Ray recorded on my cassette tape recorder as we flew from Seattle, Washington to San Francisco, California. I have to thank my oldest daughter, Sarah Ray Allred, for making this transcript of the recording when she wrote her book in 1992 about Grandpa Ray entitled Irving J. Ray, The Rise of a Legend. By the way, you should read her book. It's very interesting. Even though she was only 14 years old, Sarah did a great job writing that book. Okay, here are Grandpa Ray's words, remembering what it was like to grow up in Arizona in the 1920s and 1930s before there was air conditioning. This section is called Sleeping Without Air Conditioning. And now, here are Grandpa Ray's words. As I grew up, there were china berry trees around the house. In the summertime, we would eat out among the trees every night after it got dark, about 8 o'clock. We'd have bread, milk, and onions. That was standard fare, and that's all we had. Our beds were placed outside under the trees. On a particularly hot night, we would take our sheets and dip them in the canal or the ditch that was running close by. Then we would wring them out as much as we could and drape them over us. From the breeze that would go through the sheet, we would actually become cold. Once we got to sleep, we didn't worry about the heat. The cold sheets would be enough to get us to sleep comfortably. In fact, we would sometimes have goosebumps on us from that evaporation. Our food and milk was a different story. After a few years, we were able to get an electric refrigerator. But before that, we just had an ice box. Can you imagine that? We put ice in it every two or three days. We'd get the ice from an ice vendor that would come by, and we would put up in the window a sign that said that we wanted 25 or 50 pounds. He'd bring in the ice and put it in the ice box, and we'd pay him once a week or once a month. Before that, many times we would put our milk out under the tree on a board. We'd take gunny sacks and wet them in the ditch. We'd put them around our milk jars, and then periodically in the morning, we would carry out a clean one. We would take a bucket of water and soak the gunny cloths down, and that way we were able to have cool milk. It was amazing how clean and cool that milk would be. It was the same way with our drinking water. We'd have it in 10-gallon cans, and we would put several layers of burlap around it. We would keep that soaked, and the evaporation would really do quite an efficient job of cooling. For many years, we had no power in the house even to run a fan. After electricity came in, we would have a little electric fan that we would rotate around the house. 
we never did have a so-called evaporative fan until after I was married. Can you imagine all about how that was? It's incredible. The next section is called food, glorious food. My mother was an excellent cook. She had no real culinary skills as far as gourmet cooking. We would have breakfast right after we milked the cows. For a typical morning breakfast, we'd find hot biscuits, beautiful, sweet, good biscuits. There were about four different types of biscuits she could bake. There were the soda biscuits, then there were the white dough biscuits that would raise up really high, and then there were the cornbread biscuits, and then there were the muffins. They were all so good, and they were always hot and ready for us at breakfast after we had milked the cows. We'd also have whole wheat cereal or oatmeal. We'd have cream that we could use, and then in addition, we would have a slab of meat that would be cut off from the meat that was hanging outside. It would be good steak fried with potatoes and gravy for breakfast. No breakfast could equal our breakfasts. Every morning was a stupendous feast at the table that we sat down to. At noon, when we went to school, we took a peanut butter sandwich. But when we were out of school, mother always had a big pot of beans with chili sauce, which was just delicious. We also had cornbread or some kind of hot bread, or we would have stew. Sometimes we would have baked chicken. Invariably, we had bread and milk and onions, or bread and milk and radishes for supper. That was what we preferred, either raw onions that we just had taken out of the ground, or green onions, or dried onions as the season dictated. That was a perfectly good supper, and I love onions today. In fact, many times after we became civilized and moved into Mesa, the ward would put on a supper. Many times they would go back to the old bread and milk supper. They would have the older people or whoever could bake homemade bread bring it. There was no store-bought bread allowed. They would have all the milk you wanted, all the green onions or fresh onions, and that would be a beautiful reminiscing supper. That was all the whole ward would have. It was just a choice experience to have those special bread and milk suppers. The next section is called Discipline. Periodically, we would have a setback. As children, it was hard for us not to tell lies when we knew what we were doing was wrong. We would try to just get out of it by telling a lie. When mother would catch us telling a lie, she would say, well, our front lawn has lots of stinkweeds. Stinkweeds were a certain type of yellow weed and that when you pulled it, it would leave your hand stinking, something terrible. Mother would say, 100 weeds will help you realize what you've done. So we would go out and we would find sometimes 85 weeds. We'd take them back and Mother would say, well, I need to count them. Every time she would count them. And so it wasn't long before we always were able to count to 100. Sometimes we'd put in one or two extra just in case. Because if she found out that we'd only picked 99, we'd have to go and pick another 100. We were never able to pull the wool over mother's eyes one single time. She never would be mad at us. 
She would just say, well, this merits this, and that merits that. Dad would always, if he felt it necessary, turn us over his knees and he would paddle us. He never used a leather strap like some of my friends' dads. Or he never punished us unnecessarily, but he only punished us when we deserved it. I got into the habit of liking to read after a few years. So when I would bury my head in a book, I was gone. The way my dad got my attention when I should be listening to him was to come up right behind me and grab me. We wore long hair, and he would take some of the hair right at the back of my neck and gently lift me up. I would have to gently come up right with him, and I would just gently tiptoe over because it was so painful. He never had to say a word to me. He just lifted me up by my hair, and away I went. Dad was very kind. He never punished us unnecessarily. So when we got it, we didn't hold it against him because we knew that we just deserved it. He would do everything he could to avoid it, but sometimes we just insisted on it. The last section for tonight is called Ray Family Traditions. We had many family traditions. The one I think I liked the most was that on my birthday, there were always two cakes baked. One was just for my own personal use and the other one was for the family. I would take this personal cake and guard it with my life. The thing I liked better than anything was to get a glass of milk and a piece of cake and some bread. I would put the cake in with that cup of milk and bread, and it made the cake go so much further. I would put two or three slices of bread with the one small slice of cake. I loved doing that then, and I love doing that now. Christmas was something I loved the best. We always had a tree, whether a conventional tree or a local tamarack tree. Dad always allowed us to have a tree, and we would make many strands, chains of colored paper. Much of the paper we had in those days was cheap paper with wide lines. We could take our scissors and cut along those lines quite accurately. We would make paste by using water and flour. We could glue the ends together, and we could make chains that we would string around the house and the tree. Those were our decorations for our tree. We would take these nice days before Christmas and make these long chains. It was just a very fun family time. The 4th of July and the 24th of July were always traditional fun days for all of the Mormon families. The 4th of July was a patriotic day, and everyone celebrated with firecrackers and fireworks everywhere. It was a national holiday, and each community had games. There were all kinds of games. There were horse and chariot races. There was always a greased pig, and that was usually the highlight of my day. It would be a fresh pig, and they would put axle grease on him. Then all the young men that cared to, and most of them did, would try to catch that pig. Can you imagine it? That was the time of their life, all of them trying to catch the pig. Many times they would catch it, only to have it run out from under them. 
They would land on it, and the pig would squirt out of their hands because it was greased. Those boys would come out of there just looking like you can't describe it. They were greased from head to foot. Another thing that was part of those celebrations was the greased pole climbing contest. They would mount a pole in the ground. It would be about 25 feet tall. Then all the guys had to climb the pole, and it was just pitiful to see. Usually, someone would make it to the top, either from just wearing the grease off the pole or from sanding their hands so that they could grip the pole a little tighter. It was just so funny to see them halfway up and then just scoot down to the bottom. Those were fun times, and I can just look back and see so many of them vividly in my mind. You know, being in a family that does things together is the blessed place on earth to be not only to be polite and industrious, but also to be able to compete. I think that is one of the reasons I am such a competitor at everything that I do. Every time that we would go somewhere, to a family gathering, or to a church social, there were always races for everything. They were at different speeds, so everybody had a chance to win, and you just wanted to be the first one. Everyone wanted to win, but generally I wanted to win a little more, so I just tried a little harder. So I would often win. It seemed like Dad's family would come home with most of the first place ribbons. It was just a tradition. That's one thing that Dad has always provided us with, good experiences. I remember we always had cows to milk. As a child, I was always the one to go because I was the only boy in the family for many years. There were six girls and just three boys. The oldest boy died when he was only three years old. There were three girls and then myself and then three more girls and then Dewey. I was the one that got up at 4 a.m. and went out in the cold, cold, cold Arizona morning. Really, it was not that cold in Arizona. And then I had to milk 10 or 15 cows. I did this before I went to school at 8 a.m. After school, there were always cows to get and the cows to milk again in the evening. It was quite a job. I can't remember when I didn't have to milk cows morning and night. In fact, Donetta said, I milked Heavenly Father's cows, so I milked cows before any of you. We had special cows that I would milk because they were easier and more tame. It was always fun to do, especially when Dad had me go to Phoenix or some other place. It was also easier to do it at that time because I would always start earlier so I could get as many cows milked as I could before Dad came home. Isn't it amazing, and this is the end of the transcript, isn't it amazing that Grandpa Ray grew up in such a different time? To me, it's really fun to see all that he did in his early life. Well, that's all for tonight. I hope you learned about your ancestor, Irving J. Ray, and that you appreciate that you are growing up in a time when you can live in a comfortable house instead of having to dip your sheet in a dirty irrigation ditch to try to get cool enough to fall asleep. We can learn a lot and appreciate a lot from the past. I hope you have sweet dreams, and I love you a lot. 
We hope you enjoyed tonight's bedtime story. We hope you felt our love for you. And we hope you will have sweet dreams tonight. We love you so much.